0: Hello everyone and welcome to Everyday Linux Episode 213, Bad Writing About Good Software. Recorded November 8th, 2015 and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Element OP Com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel. And joining me this week are your two Star Wars co hosts, Chris, the command line Godfather Neves, and Seth, the gooey kid Anderson. Hello, gentlemen. How are you?
1: Hello, everybody out there in TV land. And Mark, it's great to be here, at least for today.
2: <laughs> I'm doing okay. Uh, not a lot of rain this weekend. That's a nice break. We only had maybe
0: Less than an inch.
2: So yay, it's drying out in Texas.
0: You know, yeah, it's it's great when you keep the show energy going and Seth comes in, I'm doing okay. You know, life didn't suck too much today.
1: (laughs) I'm okay.
0: Hello, Eeyore. (laughs) I had one of those moments today, just briefly, where it's it's the strangest social construct, but it is it is the proper social um activity. Uh a guy at church walks up to me and says, You've lost a lot of weight. Thank you for stating the obvious. Have a good day. I mean the I, I know what they mean is, you know, I took note of the fact that you did something that is often difficult and and uh requires a lot of uh, self and uh, uh restraint to do. I acknowledge that and appreciate your hard work in it. But the way that you say that is you've lost a lot of weight. Yes I have. <laughs> Bye.
1: <laughs> it's never a good feeling when someone says that straight up like that. It's always like, um Yeah. yeah. But, Thank you.
0: But, but I mean, the, the other thing that people do is, have you lost weight? Yeah, I lost 100 pounds. You hadn't noticed? Maybe I'm not trying hard enough. You know, so there's kind of no good way to do it.
1: <laughs> right. No, there isn't. Well, it's just like the pregnancy thing. Yeah. You never ask a woman if they're pregnant just because you don't know. Yeah,
0: There was a guy I I knew years ago, and and I noticed that he had lost a a significant amount of weight in a short period of time. And I commented on it, uh, you know, hey, I I see that you've lost a lot of weight. I just, you know, wanted to uh, compliment you on that. He said, yeah, stomach cancer will do that. Oh, (laughs) yeah. So now I feel like a a jerk for pointing out the fact that he hasn't been able to eat a solid meal in eight months, you know. Um,
1: yeah, that, uh, yeah. The, the, there are so many social pas that we do yeah. without even thinking about
0: it. So anyway, that just <laughs> it was just one of those things that somebody said the obvious, and I said thank you because that's the weird thing that we do, uh, right? What, <laughs> what's I wonder other countries, other other cultures. Um, you know, uh, uh, we have people in other countries, but often they share the same Western culture. I'm interested in maybe our South American listeners or, uh, or our Asian. What, what's the, what's the proper way? Well, maybe, maybe you don't have the problem with obesity that we do. Uh, yeah, what's the proper way beer. to, to appropriate to, to tell somebody that you've noticed that they've worked hard at something?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I'd be curious to find out what like, uh, the Russians would say. Yeah. You know, Cause that's, That's one of those cultures that always seems to be blunt, so it'd be really interesting to see if they're just as blunt as I'm
0: anticipating. You're not as fat as used to be. (laughs) That was a horrible (laughs) Russian accent. So, I was watching uh, a preview for this new movie, 33, starring Antonio Banderas. You know what I'm talking about? It's the the movie that they made about the Chilean coal miners. Yes. Um, Yep. And I, one of the things that I'm watching as I'm watching this, you know, 90 second trailer, I noticed that all the, the uh, South Americans um, are speaking Spanish or speaking English with an affected Spanish accent. Not not even a South American accent, but a, a Spanish accent. And, and it occurs to me, why, why do we do that? Why do we put, uh, you know, Hunt for Red October? Same thing there. Right. All the Russians spoke English with a Russian accent. If they are already speaking English. Why have the accent? Is it? Is it? Is it? Are we yeah. so dumb that we can't realize that? That I mean, they, the Germans, all every Nazi in every movie you see speaks English with a bad German accent. Uh, I get that you don't want to do subtitles. Subtitles suck. Nobody wants to read them. But just do English and call it English. Yeah.
2: No, you you don't want to do that because you want to show some kind of difference between the two sides, other than the way they dress, and so. I, you know, because you want to make it seem like they're speaking in their language because it would be weirder for them to be speaking perfect English a la, well, not perfect English, but regular English a la Kevin Costner and Robin Hood so uh um, <laughs> well kevin costner
0: well, that, that is true in every movie has an accent problem he drifts in and out frequently the the guy <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> sam neal i think is his name played red skull in the in the first captain america he he was in and out of that accent with within set, the same sentence at some point not not just between yep. scenes uh right and, uh, and it was fun if you can't if you can't get a, a guy to say the accent just don't try like um Mary Poppins. Go back and listen to, uh, no, it's not Mary Poppins. Titty Titty Bang Bang. That's it. Uh, Go back and watch that. It's a great kids show, but uh, Dick Van Dyke during his heavy drinking days. um, And Dick Van Dyke has the good English accent. He can do it. But you could tell on the, the scenes where he was so slobbering drunk he forgot to. So he'd slip into this American accent and, and just through, it's one of the best parts about watching that movie. This this movie that was a big budget, quote unquote, for its day movie uh, with, a, with yeah. one of the best uh, uh, actors of the day. And he just slips in and out again, sometimes within scenes, within sentences. Um, there are scenes there where it looks like he lo- loses the thought in just the middle of the sentence because he's just so (laughs) strung out on alcohol. Um, so check that out. I'm sure it's on Netflix or, or Amazon or somewhere. Check that out just for the sheer joy of watching uh, this A-list actor of his day, uh, really suck at his job.
1: Well, he he was having a drinking problem that kind of goes par for the course, doesn't it?
0: So in Mary Poppins, he was excellent, right? He, he was Burt the chimney sweep and you believed it. Uh, so the uh, the titty uh, titty bang bang came came a little after that, and he played an Englishman, an English character, but not not much of the time was he an Englishman. That's funny. All right, that was that was a weird digression, just just right off the <laughs> bat, uh, five minutes into the show. I do want to, I don't want to go too much farther to say that the day this is released is uh, Veterans Day in the U.S., Armistice Day uh, in uh, Europe. Um, Remembrance Day it's also referred to as this was the day where f- for all intents and purposes um a global war came to an end it was the day that the agreement was signed um victory uh in Europe day VE day I think it, or no vi- V No no, no the VE end came, of World War 1 yeah end of World War 1 sorry yeah I went way I got confused yeah the end of World War 1 on the 11th day the 11th hour uh of the the 11th 11th, hour, 11th day of the 11th month, um, 1111 was the day that the Great War ended, and so because it was the the global war, most countries in the world celebrate or celebrate is the wrong word. Remember this day in some yeah. way. So uh, for those of you who are serving now, um, this uh, this is your day. Uh, it's uh, here in the U.S. We call it Veterans Day. We 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 honor those who are serving today. Memorial Day is when we honor those who have fallen in europe uh they sort of do both things together they don't this is mostly their memorial day some european will correct me and that's fine Uh, but this is more akin to their memorial day but it's a much more somber uh thing because they you know they felt the effects of the war in their homeland a lot more than we americans did uh, but anyway, just wanted to acknowledge that. Thank you for your service, uh, those of you who have served and are currently serving, and we remember those who uh, gave all that they had to give. Yep. Yep.
1: <laughs> there we go. There we go again. Agreeing yeah. on something yeah. without any conflict. That
0: that was a total king of the hill moment right there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, you know. <laughs>
2: Uh, an early working title of the show was Our is Days Here because this was going to be released on the 11th but Mark decided to go with a more representative uh title and just totally steal my thunder. Representative. So good job, Mark. Yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> we'll we'll blame that on the uh poor quality of the transmission.
0: <laughs> yeah, there it is. Um so Chris if if I under if I'm translating what you're saying here, you are doing my least favorite thing to do to a laptop. Is that right?
1: Probably. Um, I a friend of mine asked me to take a look at his laptop to find out why it wasn't powering back up after, or wasn't taking charge. Um, I found that this is one of those great Dells that had the, and anyone watching the YouTube, this type of connection for the power. Just a little jack with a wire. Oh, yeah. Nope. I've got
0: some of those yeah. in my house. Yeah, The Asus yeah. were even worse than that. Yep. Well,
1: he ended up breaking all of the connectors that are on the plastic basil of the board to screw this in. So now I'm using some good old fashioned resin and trying to rebuild enough of the connector to, or enough of the socket so it can sit in it. So
0: Man, many, Fun. many, many um, laptop repair technicians made a living off of bad designs in in laptops mm-hmm. and, and, and still do. They, the companies have gotten a lot better at it, but uh, for several years there, every Asus laptop had that problem. Every Dell laptop had that problem. Um, and, you know... It, when in our age, maybe not you, Chris. You may be a little too young for this, but uh, I know Seth and I had this experience growing up. When you had the tinfoil on the on the rabbit ears on the TV, you're positioning things just right, and you're know, you know like lift your lift your left leg just a little bit, and you get it just right, and you get the well the the 1990s early 2000s equivalent with that with that was wrapping the cord around and tying a duck uh, some rubber band around it to get a charge into your laptop before yep. it got so hot that it started melting the plastic.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I remember I remember both of those. I remember would, where uh, I live. Remember where I live. <laughs>
2: yes. <laughs> I had to climb up halfway up the chimney uh off of a ladder and, and get on top of it and turn the antenna. And, you know, mom would stand at the door so she could relay when dad was saying, that's good. Too far. Go back. And so I'm up there. And one time I had rotated it so far. The cord had wrapped, so then I had to just start going the other way to because I'd used up all the slack in the cord. Um, yeah, fun times.
0: Roto antennas go back to the 60s, and your dad was too cheap to buy one.
2: No, we finally got one, but it was just you couldn't mount it easily. Nah. Um, and you know, why? Whenever you've got a nine year old kid to climb <laughs> yep. the ladder, so watch spring for a roto antenna
0: so i think in in years past or years hence uh the old men will be telling the story about how they finally coaxed the last little bit of juice out of that broken laptop connector um and they, and i mean i've i've done it here you wrap it around the screen just right and you pull it you put just enough pressure on it just the right and you know and and when it starts to go out you can just touch it and suddenly it'll come back on nobody move nobody breathe my laptop's <laughs> charging nobody breathe yeah, uh, yep. that's how this That'd one seem- was.
1: So now I'm trying, I'm rebuilding that area with, with some resin and some, yeah. It's,
0: it's one of the fun. few things I'm excited about with, uh, USB C. Uh, if, if yep. laptop manufacturers start to, uh, Apple is already leading the way in that. If other laptop ba- manufacturers follow suit, um, it's they're it's easy to make a, a breakaway or a magnetic USB C adapter easier than it is, uh, the, than, um, a laptop one, or it's probably not easier. It's probably just patented. But I, I never understood why laptops had such a terrible connection. I mean, there's th- there are thousands of ways to do it better. Just a, a phone jack, right? With the that clips in. You know that technology's been around since the 30s. Why on yep. laptops did we do such a terrible job of power connectors on all of them since the beginning of time?
1: Except for Apple, they're Except the ones Apple. with the magnetic breakaway connector.
0: And it took them, you know, their third or fourth rev- revision of the yep. the Mac laptop to do it. And of course, they patented it now. Nobody else can, can do that. I get that. But, you know, there are other ways to do it. Um,
1: you would hope. You know, I mean, well, you know, it's just power. Come on. Of course, you know what's going to happen? Uh, I read in the news that there was that, oh, what was the company? I'd have to go back and look, but it was about radial power in the air that will soon just have. Oh yeah! A dish in the middle of your room, and as long as you're, you know, baking your brain, you get power to your laptop. It's, it's or called
0: White and it was, uh, it's been yep. around forever. It's essentially the early version of Qi charging. Um, mm-hmm. And there are companies that are looking to scale it up. I, I predicted in, in the late 90s, and my prediction still, I, I'm still holding to it, that in in my lifetime, before the end of my days on this earth, we will be beaming solar energy directly down to the planet, collecting it in space and beaming it down to the planet without, uh, it'll be just ubiquitous access. Your devices will absorb it wherever they are. Uh, if you're underground or unable to get to those signals, you'll have a collector that beams it to it. And, and the, the transmission of electricity over copper will be a thing of the past before I die.
1: Let's hope so. That would be cool. I could just imagine how that would work too. I mean, or at least some ideas of how that would work. But I know the, the oh, I wish I remember the name of that company. It was like PowerMax or something like that. But they were talking about it's the way their technology works. It's over um, ultrasound. Huh. So it's using ultrasound to push power and they're, Their current spec that they're going to release will give you about a watt and a half of power to your phone, so it would keep your phone charged no matter what you're doing on it, as long as it's not in your pocket. Yeah, it's
0: it's they're all the same design. It's turning mechanical energy into electrical energy, and that's something we know how to do really well. Um, mm-hmm. it's, but we've got to miniaturize it and make enough of it so that the, the mechanical energy of vibrations, of radio vibrations is enough. You know, there, there are companies, uh, already that, that use wave generators. You throw them out in the ocean and you use the currents, the waves, the things that never stop and use them to generate. The problem is you, you have a generator out in the ocean and you got to get that energy, <laughs> energy somewhere useful. So the, the, the idea of taking something that waves. And and converting it to electrical energy is not new, but the technology to make it feasible is new. Seth, you were going to say something. I think we cut you off.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say. You know, even with the original Xbox controller, had that little breakaway thing. The, oh, the, yeah. the technology has been there, but why would the laptop companies want to do that? Whenever it's going to last long enough, just long enough to get through your warranty. And then you'll have to pay to get it repaired or to buy a new one.
0: Right, you so, know, I think yeah. that's absolutely, I think there are certain devices um, that there is not only no benefit, but actually it's a detriment to make them long-lived. That if you make a durable quality product, you're actually harming your business. And yeah, laptops kind of like are phones. one of
1: yeah. 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 Phones are another one. I mean, other uh, Light bulbs otherwise- are like that.
2: Yeah. Who wants a hundred, what light bulb manufacturing company wants to build a light bulb that lasts a hundred years? Yeah. (laughs) You know, look at how expensive they would be.
0: And you know, cars, you only buy them once cars for a long time in the U S had that, a hint of planned obsolescence. If you got 120,000 miles out of an American made car, you were doing really well. And it's not that Americans didn't have the engineering. It's just that it wasn't worthwhile. Um, but what happened there is that the the import makers, the Japanese in particular, started exporting their high quality things, and then American companies had to keep catch up because Americans weren't buying the junk that mm-hmm. that Detroit was pushing out. But in 5758, when the everybody was okay with but part of that was the pricing model, right? It didn't cost two years salary to buy a car. Back then, and and people were content to buy one every couple of years. Now, I mean, I know me, I buy a car and I drive it till the doors fall off. Uh, on average, I buy a car every ten years. Um, and and if I if I think a car won't last ten years, I won't buy that car.
1: Yeah, that's why I bought the car I did when I when we just changed out for my new one. Or it's not new, but it's used. But um, that's why we bought the Subaru that I mm-hmm. did because of the long, longevity of the brand.
0: And it's, it's a problem you run into with any mature technology. Early-day computers, they were advancing so fast that you had to get a new one just because it was that much better. But, you know, I, I'm sitting here in front of me. I'm looking at a 2006 model laptop, a 2009 model laptop, and a 2014 model laptop, and all of them are functionally identical. Mm-hmm. The, the, I mean, the, the one is definitely faster than the other, but in terms of what I do every day... All of them do fine. Um, yeah. so that's the problem. <laughs> you can't, if you do that and make it last, well, that's just bad business.
1: <laughs> that's just silly. Why would you do such a thing?
0: Where, where we are advancing, uh, at least right now, I think it's going to stabilize. I think we're, we're getting to that stabilization point of cell phones, where I get to tell you about now my Moto X Pure that I purchased yes. and just came in on Wednesday. So, uh, it's, uh, I, I gave this review on the Android App Addicts podcast as well. That my review of it is, it's fine. Um, and I think that represents the fact that we have re- reached maturity among cell phones. The You buy a, a flagship quality phone it's not going to be any different than any other flagship quality phone. This phone, other than being larger and just being newer and not having two years of of knocking around on it, is not significantly better than my Nexus 5. Sure. Uh, and and that's not a knock on it. That's just because there's there not a whole lot of changes you can make at this point. You just throw right. more cores at it
1: or more memory or better battery life so this has a
0: this could have excellent battery life because it's huge 5.7 inch and it's uh it's hard to tell in the in the video by the way it came with this clear bumper case it's it's naked on the back with just a little bumper and i wasn't sure i was going to like it until i dropped it a couple of times and uh it seems to be fine. Um, cool. So anyway, it's, it's got a little rise in the back. It, actually, it's a good design. It feels good in the hand, but also it gives you lots of room for battery there. So this thing has a thirty-five uh, 3,800 uh, milliamp battery. It could really last a long time, but then they went and stuck a quad HD screen in it. Which sucks yeah. all the advantage advantage you would have got out of battery life out of it, and so I, I'm, it's not fair to give it a review because I've only been using it for a few days. But I'm not getting all day out of it. I'm getting 5, 12, 13 hours, and I really need nineteen or twenty um, uh, out of a to get all day. Um, so it's it's fine. But um, had they put a 1080p screen on this, and you know, on a on a on a five inch screen, five point seven. Why do you need that many pixels? 1080p would have been just fine.
1: Sure.
2: Be- because you would lose the marketing war to the exactly. company that did that. And, yeah. you know, and Mark, here's the thing. You should have rated that sucker on the internet whenever you looked at the box. Oh, my gosh, great box, five stars. Yeah. You know, how <laughs> dare you wait and actually evaluate the product in detail before you post a review, don't you know the internet has a reputation to maintain?
0: Yeah, I will. I, in fact, I, <laughs> I haven't given, I'm still not, I'm withholding my review on this one, but I will say turbocharging is cool. So uh this... uh Qualcomm has uh, made this chip. It's been out for a few years, but this is a Motorola's version of it, which is actually a little, a little more advanced than the Qualcomm one. Um, the charger can send 12 volts, nine volts, or five volts, depending on what you need at various amperages. So 12 volts at two amps, nine volts at two and a half amps, or five volts at five amps. Um, and so wow. when, when it detects and it, it communicates with the phone when you plug it in, there's a chip in the charger and obviously a chip in the phone and they communicate with each other and say um you know i'm i'm at 20% battery uh, right now i need the most you can give me so it sends 12 volts into it and then it it will charge to like 80% in like 10 or 15 minutes uh and then it gets there and it says okay i'm i'm down now you can you can start feed me a little slower give me 9 volts and then when you get close to the top okay i'm ready for trickle charging just give me 5 volts so that's really cool and and that helps overcome the shortcoming of a relatively mediocre battery life except that you got to have that turbocharger on you and none of your existing uh, turbochargers can do that Uh, right even if you have the uh the qualcomm uh supercharge it's not going to do at the same rate so you've got to go to motorola and as far as i know they're the only ones making them right now and buy one of theirs and they're way more expensive uh so you know, the first day I was using it, I sucked down the battery because it's the first day. You know, you're doing, and the screen's on all the time, and you're downloading things, and you're really hammering on it. Uh, I, I By noon, I needed a charge. Well, I plugged it into the USB uh, port on my laptop, and it just laughed at me what you think that's gonna do anything <laughs> i've got a quad Hd screen you check your email and you just suck that out of the way um and then i plugged it into my car which has a, a better uh 1.5 or 2 amp charger um and it was doing okay until i turned on navigation and then it was draining faster than it was charging so it's going to force me to actually go out and buy new chargers um uh, because uh, mainly i'm blaming the quad HD screen
2: can you so like, step would, down to, the screen to us, anyway? do those duty
0: No, not that I know of. I mean, it's, it's not like you can choose to only light up half the pixels.
1: Yeah. That's going to be pretty much stuck that way no matter what. Now, does that, um, do those chargers also handle like if you plugged in a different phone? Yeah. If it doesn't communicate, it automatically downgrades to.
0: Yeah, so the base, it uh, and, and when you plug it in, you can see that happen. When you first plug it in, it gives it a little charging light, and it's just the standard 5-volt uh, at up to 5 amps. Uh, of course, amps aren't being pushed. They're what can be pulled. So it's up to the end-user device to pull uh, how many amps. So at 5 volts, up to 5 amps. Um, so an iPad or, or another phone or even a, my Qi charging uh, puck um, functions just fine. But then when it gets a phone okay. and uh, with a chip in it, that chip communicates with the the device and says, I'm one you can send more to, and it steps it up. Perfect.
1: Well, that's not too bad then. At least then maybe you're a little future-proofed, so that way when you buy your next phone, if you replace all your chargers, you're at least not wasting money throwing it away because your one phone has supercharged and the other ones didn't.
0: I think the next chargers I buy will will be USB-C. Everybody will have moved to that by then, I think.
1: Well, we can hope. Does it? Um, does that pure edition have any chi on it, or is it just
0: plug in? It does not. It is. It's. Uh, and they. I, I figured th- they give all kinds of reasons, but they're all. You know, we made this um, uh, trade off, and here's the here's the reasons we're selling you on this trade off. But turbo charging was like, you don't need it. You can charge in 15 minutes, and that's true. You can if you have the charger with you, and the charger that comes in the box is great. But I can either have it at home or I can have it at work. I'm not going to carry it back and forth with me, and it does me no good in the car. So, you know, that the yes, it's true if you replace your chargers everywhere. Uh, for as long as I've worked where I work now, I've always just charged off of the USB port on the computer at my desk. And yeah, it's slow, but it's fine for for my previous phones it's done the job this it is truly a trickle charge the 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 phone itself has battery uh, high requirements and the battery is so powerful that uh, i almost feel like it's trying to charge the laptop uh, instead <laughs> you know because that's that's the that's way funny. current works it's just like water whichever is more it'll push the other way and i kind of get the feeling that the phone is like can i just give you some juice you're so weak i'd really like to just charge you up a little bit <laughs>
1: That would be hilarious to find out. You should put Ampri on it and see what it, what the uh, different um, uh, chargers do for power.
0: Well, Apple says that on their their new phones uh, with the USB C, you can actually charge your laptop off of them, and and right. vice versa. So the the technology is already there. Um, wow. So Seth, I'm going to answer uh, the the question before you ask it. Uh, I have not seen it, and I don't know that I care to.
1: Okay. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I'm not too sure about it. So what I've seen t- enough of the commercials, but I'm not I'm not sold on that particular show.
0: I was expecting Seth to pick up the the gauntlet and run with it, but since he didn't, we we're talking about Supergirl. Um, so I, I'm guessing you watched it. What are your thoughts on it?
2: Yeah, you know, I was um, I actually kind of like it. It's um, it's cool. They're not they're not trying to be. You know, uh, Superman with breasts and ovaries. They're like Supergirl is her own person. And I think they're doing a, I mean, I've only seen two episodes, obviously. So I I don't know. But I would put it a little bit, I wouldn't, it's not on Flash level because I thought Flash was great. But for me, it's much better than Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I just, I've never
0: liked. See, I, uh, I, that's the only of the superhero shows I have seen. I haven't seen Flash. I haven't seen Green Arrow. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has not had a solid season yet. They've had three seasons where some of the episodes were good. Um, But Mm -hmm. I I keep sticking with them. I don't know why. Frankly, I'm at that point now where it's just part of my habit to watch the show. Um, But I would like to... I I hear Flash is really good. I hear Green Arrow is really good. Supergirl, to me, uh, watching the previews reminded me of the Dean Cain Superman which I did not like. And so I immediately got a bad taste in my mouth because of that association. Sure. Yeah, well,
2: you know, it was cool in in the first episode where, you know, they're kind of telling her backstory through kind of flashbacks and stuff. Uh, Dean Kane was the father. So I don't think he was Superman. You know, so it was cool that they had a nice little homage to the past episode or past Superman seasons or shows. But I thought it was. I I liked it. It was. I think it ha- it has potential, and it started off pretty good. So it's not one of those crappy. It's got potentials. I mean, I think it's pretty solid. And I will. It's on CBS, so I can watch it online. You know, go to CBS uh, website and ba- and are you can watch it and like every 15 minutes where commercials would be, they have their little commercial breaks and, uh, I have bandwidth where I can actually watch it and it didn't buffer today. I was so happy. <laughs> I, watched a, I watched an hour long program that did not buffer. So there is hope for my internet.
0: All right, 30 minutes in, we haven't talked about anything but our stuff, so let's move on a little bit and hear from our listeners. Robert in Alaska says, internet sucks there, too. says, hey, guys, this is Robert in Alaska. Well, it's deja vu. I just wanted to say two things. One, I pay almost $100 for my internet, I assume he means a month, and I can't even get a .5 meg down at my house. I live on the north end of town, and dark fiber ends about half a mile from my house. Um... And then this last bit I'm a little confused about, so maybe you guys can help me. He says, and Alaska is still a part of the continental United States. You guys are just confused with Canada and in the middle of the continent between your location and mine. I don't recall anybody ever saying that Alaska wasn't uh, part of the continental United States, but I think I did make the statement that pretty much anywhere you go in the continental U.S., you can get broadband. Pretty much means just that. Yes, I understand rule. Wherever rule is... You have trouble. I mean, Seth just recently got it, um, and there are places in you know I'm sure uh, in Montana where Chris is uh, that that there are people who j- have dial up only if they can get it. So yeah, I was making a generalization. Uh, I do know that Alaska is part of the continental United States. I had family who lived there. I know about the chip on your shoulder about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't say go back to the states. I get that. Certainly don't say it in Hawaii. Uh, but yeah, hundred dollars for you know 0.5, uh, is not awesome uh but that's the choice that you know you you chose to live where you live whether either you did or your parents did and you know there're things the compensations and and complications that go with that
1: sure and i think the biggest thing is is that we need to find a better way than just rolling copper around to get good ba- broadband around and broadband has been reassigned you know the the what is considered broadband internet is now Way over what is being provided in my right. town, so technically I don't have broadband. I have high speed internet,
0: right? And the, re- the reason the FCC did that is is to uh, uh, to help spur uh, progress because companies can no longer advertise broadband unless they offer was it twenty five? I think I forget something what it like is.
1: that. Something like that. It's like twenty five down is broadband. Anything lower than that is just high speed internet,
0: right?
2: Seth, your thoughts. No, I mean, dude, I feel your pain. I know exactly what you're saying. (laughs) With the plan I had, um, before I switched to this provider, that was, I was paying pretty close to that. Not quite, but pretty close. Uh, so I found a different provider that I'm getting four or five times the speed for 10 bucks a month more. Um, yay.
0: And on the the heels of that, Nige from the U.K. says Americans should just stop complaining about bandwidth cost. I was interested in your response uh, to some feedback in episode 211 from a guy regarding the relative costs of Internet and telecoms in the U.K. and U.S. He was right that the Internet provision is generally a lot cheaper in the U.K. I pay the equivalent of $30 a month for an unlimited broadband and unlimited national phone calls. The connection is only 10 megabits, but that's fast enough for most things. And I imagine that's a fair bit cheaper than the equivalent uh, in the U.S. Uh, none of the U.K. service providers have any kind of uh, government involvement or subsidy. They are all commercial companies. Our costs in held in, are held in check by the fact that we have a lot of competition between providers with a choice of probably 20 or more in most places. But they all piggyback on the infrastructure provided by one company, British Telecom. If BT can't or won't provide fiber connectivity to anywhere, none of the ISPs can do anything about it. Your point about the comparative sizes of the UK and the U.S. landmass is very relevant. There are plenty of rural locations here where BT have no current plans to provide high-speed connectivity, and they may only be 30 miles from the nearest large city. I think your cell phone costs in the U.S. are very cheap. I was in California in August and September this year and bought the cheapest track phone at Walmart. It was an Alcatel dumb phone with a wall charger and a car charger. Total cost $9.97. That's a real bargain. I bought $20 worth of phone credits. And still have half of them left, despite having made plenty of local calls and some to the UK. No complaints about that. There aren't many things which are cheaper in the UK than the US. We generally pay about the same in pounds as you pay in dollars. This means our costs for most things here are about 40% higher. Don't get me started on the price of gasoline. We pay nearly three times as much as you guys.
1: Hmm. Yeah, okay. But again, you still have British Telecom as your backbone that was probably getting UK service provide or UK government funds. Subsidies. From yeah, subsidies from not just one government, but multiples if they're if it's going across other than just one you know, country line.
2: And come on, Nice. We're not gonna stop complaining. <laughs> <laughs> was two eleven your first episode of listening to <laughs> us? We will whine about our monopolistic uh, zones created by our government um, and how they seem to enjoy nothing more than us any chance they get.
0: Yeah, so the we we had similar models for public utilities here in the U.S. up until very recently. Electricity and gas, in particular, um, were recently deregulated. Prior to that, there was one or two players in the market, and that was it. And you were either with them or you weren't. Um, and then uh, over time, uh, the the government deregulated them, and now we have the same thing. So uh, in Texas, for example, it's Encore, uh, and Encore is the people that owns the copper and actually generates the the electricity and runs that electricity to you but there are dozens of companies that can sell buy wholesale from Encore and sell retail to you and it's created the the prices have plummeted um, in, in Texas where I'm from that's not the case for natural gas. Here in Georgia it is deregulated. So it's the same situation here. You can get your gas from, there's one company that owns the lines and you can get uh, uh, gas from anywhere. So these things are are valuable every time they're tried which is why the companies don't want them to be tried. They like being the monopolies and the whole uh, telecommunications thing as we've talked about many times on this show uh, it was a, a huge uh, backdoor deal uh, between uh, the telecommunications companies and the U.S. government literally taking a map and drawing lines on it and saying, you get this and nobody else, and you get this and nobody else. And so at best, you're a duopoly, but most likely you're a monopoly and you can do whatever you want. And uh, we would love to see that kind of deregulation, but at this point, there are too many moneyed interests that don't want that to happen.
1: Yeah, which is going to stop it from happening most in most places.
2: Come on, Google Fiber.
0: Yeah, and yeah, you get these road players like that who are trying to make these things happen. Uh, Google Fiber is a good example. Um, uh, Dish Network, right there, uh, uh, Directv, both huge. I think is is the Directv version. They're they they're not competitive in terms of bandwidth, but they can. you know, you can go anywhere you can see the sky. Uh, so right. there, are, these are small markets, but they're adding some pressure. Google comes in. Adds a lot of pressure, uh, and other companies or uh, communities are starting to say, "You know, we can do this. We can do fiber. We can push gigabit, and it's not that expensive." So I think that monopoly is going to be broken, if not by the government, by other people. But because of the government monopoly, um, it can't be a telecommunications industry uh, company that does it. It has to be a co-op, and uh, that that's a whole different set of rules. Then,
2: yeah, it might kill it, especially if
1: they're. Yeah, I was going to say, especially if they're a for-profit or a non-profit organization, co-op. That, that, yeah, well, that puts, that's even, puts even more f- different rules into play.
2: And the government subsidies will make sure it's a painful, long, drawn-out, overly expensive process yes. for the monopolies to die. And again... Maybe monopoly is the wrong word because maybe technically you do have a choice, but it's still a a duopoly and it's not really, um, competition because so many of those have the term gentleman's agreement, if not some agreement spelled out on some super secret hidden memo, um, at the very, you know, it's a gentleman's agreement or an equivalent saying, you know, hey, y'all kind of take this town. We'll kind of take that town. You get the north half of the city. We get the south half and we'll flip flop over there. And we'll we'll kind of infringe on your area there. And you kind of infringe on our area here enough to keep the monopoly voices low. And unfortunately, and that's the way it is. Um, it's, I, it's just the facts of life.
0: All right. And our next email comes from Miguel in Mexico. And I love how multinational our podcast is. Uh, Miguel says, Hi guys. Props for an excellent podcast. This is Miguel from Mexico. I was listening to 212 episode. Uh, and there, this is my point. Uh, uh, wow. Therefore, this is my point about the, uh, uh, 211, uh, show 211 Holy Wars. Uh, it's very comfortable to hold an idea when it comes with a group. When by holding such an idea, it becomes an affiliation to a group or with a statement of what is right. Uh, Such rewarding ideas give a sense of belonging that very easily brings the mob uh, irrational thinking. In a very anonymous media like the internet, uh, where it is very easy to throw any kind of garbage, uh, where the degradation of any conversation has almost no real consequences, it becomes a real temptation to fight for nothing. It's a childish and stupid game we can see in the babies. One baby might be in the mood for a fight and throws something to the other just because he can. And that goes until the consequences hit him. Uh, the bad, the Too bad there's no consequences in the internet flames. In real life, the one that happens outside the web, when someone expresses an idea that hinders a person's point of view, it may go without any confrontation because people don't want to fight when there may, when there may be real consequences. Uh, people hate more in fake life and tolerate more when the punches may come in their direction. Um, is that genetic? It may be. We all like to win. Even a fake win feels the same. Uh, the problem for me is learning to share the win. We don't learn to win in a group. We are taught that uh, you win as an individual, and it's a lot harder to teach the value of group winning, the value of group interaction, because it diminishes the personal rewards, and we're selfish uh, for very good reasons. And now on to episode 212, Internet Monetization. So far, the internet has become a utility, and most users see it as infrastructure. They pay their fee, and therefore, they have the right to unlimited use and all the pub, uh, public and use and at whatever. I'm sorry, bad translation there. And and use whatever is is convenient. Uh, con, and they publicize anything that is inconvenience, like the road signs. But right now, those commercials. Uh, uh, Interests are hindering the experience of web consumption. Oh, so he's talking about ads. Ads are hindering the experience of web consumption. The web was not conceived with monetization in mind, and that comes as a, as an afterthought. For me, the ideal uh, utopia solution here will be to pay the ISP bill something like $5 per contract, forming a content payment pool in which they should be distributed among each of the content producers uh, and what their con- how their content is consumed. Therefore, the most consumed content get the most of the pool and the rest goes to oblivion. That will never happen. In today's web, I try to be reasonable and support sites that I like. Again, it's the idiotic frame flashing bouncing talking in the face publicity that becomes unbearable and turns uh, web blockers into a necessity. So we're stuck in the same wagon with no real option. So my morals do not suffer when I block YouTube's 105 scripts that they try to launch when viewing a show after swallowing the same detergent ad for the fifth time. Again, I apologize for my bad English. It could be worse, but LibreOffice's dictionaries are getting really good. Uh, Miguel your English is better than my Spanish I promise you so no need to apologize for it but it did cause me to stumble here and there it's not so much the words it's the grammatic um, differences uh, uh, what's the word constructions Um, and I I, I do speak Spanish At least I used to. It's been a while. So I can see where you're putting the words and try to translate it to English, but it was difficult to do on the fly. However, you made some really great salient comments. Uh, People are turds when there is no uh, consequence to being a turd.
1: (laughs) Well, that's the truth no matter where you are. Right. Yeah, there's a great
2: TED Talk about public shaming gone too far where this woman made a ridiculously stupid joke on Twitter, that had she been on Saturday Night Live, it would have went by without comment. But because she made it on Twitter and shut her plane off because she was getting onto an intercontinental flight, by the time she got off the flight and turned her phone on, there was a massive bleep storm had already hit her, <laughs> and you know the internet was outraged at her, and she ended up losing her job because of how quote unquote racist she was whenever you know she, she was trying. To use humor to show, you know, sarcasm in society, but it backfired on her and she but again, because nobody took the time to know her, they just saw this comment out of context and then destroyed her. And, you know, it was amazing. They knew they tracked down her flight number. Somebody happened to be in the airport she landed at took her photograph and all this kind of stuff because there was no personal responsibility. There was just, Hey, there's somebody we can kick. Uh, they might not even be down, but we'll kick them till they're down. Then we'll really start beating up on them.
0: It's a shame that people have to be so stupid, but yeah, we mm-hmm. are, <laughs> we are. Well, stupid.
1: that's people in general. Yes. You know, when if uh, you're going to generalize a topic that yeah, people are dumb and i on people,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one of you know, I, I think I've said it here before, one of my undeniable rules of life is all people are stupid. That includes me. And uh sometimes it's my turn and sometimes it's your turn. Um you know, people without exception suck. Uh and more so on the internet because there's nobody there to punch them in the nose for it. Um but your your monetization idea I think is interesting. So you would have essentially Netflix and YouTube and me. Paying uh, to use the broad the bandwidth, you pay a small, uh, trivial amount just to have the service. Your uh, usage is monitored, and the amount uh, by percentage of what you download is charged to the content producers. So the idea there is that if you want to produce the content, you have to pay to deliver the content. Um, I think personally, that's a terrible idea for obvious reasons. Uh, this show would not exist. If that model were in existence, I could not afford to del- to pay for the delivery of the content, essentially pay for it twice. I'm already paying for it in hosting, having somebody uh, host my servers. I'm paying for it in my own connection to the Internet. I'm paying for it in what it takes to uh, produce the show, you know, the equipment and all that sort of stuff. If I then had to you're, you're kind of describing payola in the old uh, AM radio days, if I had to do that, too, you would never have heard this show Um If I'm understanding what you're saying right, I think that's a terrible idea. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people, namely ISPs, who think it's a really good idea. Um, And they want Netflix to pay their bandwidth cost.
2: It sounded Mm. more to me like his was the contributor thing from Google, was kind of what he was talking about, at least when I was reading it. Okay.
0: So just for ads.
2: Okay. You know, yeah, it's like, you know, based on how many people listen to us we get a small chunk of that or, or you know that was my understanding it was something more along the lines of contributor um, okay
0: so okay so that's the monetization thing that that actually makes more sense it was he was talking about the commercials and the advertisements um i i think i can't see how that method would work um because it's it would involve tracking and everybody, certainly Americans and and Germans, we're all, we hate the idea of tracking. And if you told me that the internet was based entirely on tracking, no. the, the There's a large group of people who just simply would not accept that. Yeah, and they would Your be ISP. finding ways
1: to do a pirating the net or dark net. or. Well, it just means
0: different. that every website I go to, not only do you know it, not only does my ISP know it, but they're reporting it to the website, you know, and, and you, you know, if I go to a porn site and there's a punch the monkey ad on it now, not only have I seen the ad, but I've also been recorded somewhere that I went to a porn site and there's a lot of people who just are never going to think that's okay. Yeah,
2: but the sad part is, unless you're using some type of proxy or, or some type of proxy service, your ISP by definition, it knows where you go because you're getting on there, and it routes that connection. Hey, this guy is going to hear. Now, There's a
0: difference between having the technical ability to know and signing a piece of paper that says they're watching. That's a different yeah. thing.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. like uh, you know going to the police department and saying I might know something, and yeah, here's I, and then you do know it. Kind of. No, uh, that doesn't quite work. Now that I think about it, never mind.
0: <laughs> Statement retracted. Uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, I think we all know. Like our cell companies, know they know within thirty or forty feet everywhere I go without even using GPS. They can triangulate their cell towers. They they can do that. My ISP knows every bit that has been been downloaded. They know every movie I've watched. They they know that. Um, in theory. Right. It not really, because they once I get to Netflix, I'm behind HTTPS and my bits are opaque to them. They just know that I went to that site. Uh, So there's there's already some protections there. Right. So if your ISP really knew everything about you, they'd know your bank account numbers when you log into your bank account uh, bank site. Uh, They don't. They they can track where you go on the site. They can't track what you do on the site. That's why third party cookies exist. Because we want to be able to track people, what 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 pages they click, what they do, not only within the site but between sites, and uh, and it sounds like Miguel is in favor of that in 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 uh, the name of benef- improving the web experience overall. If we didn't need ads, if there was invisible tracking, we wouldn't need the ads, and we get the sites, and sites would get their money. It's okay, a neat but,
2: idea. Okay, Mark. Here's Which, the thing: if the ISP could know that you went to this site now once you're on that site as far as paying them it doesn't matter which subsite site you went you know or if you were on that page for two hours or you were on 200 separate pages for 10 minutes each but if you would would you give that knowledge to never see another ad
0: so That that knowledge, that knowledge is already given. So yeah, that wouldn't bother me at all. So if you're saying that, based entirely on the number of times I visit an IP address, they would divide some manner of cash, and I would never see an ad.
2: Or how long you stayed on that IP
0: address? And and that's essentially what Google contributor does. Uh, Actually, they get more information than that. Uh, So yeah, that that wouldn't bother me so much. But I am not. I mean, I am much more public. Than a lot of other people. I mean, I, I don't have any tinfoil anywhere on my body, not a hat, not a visor, not a shoelace. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I'm the wrong person to ask that question of, frankly.
1: Yeah. And everyone has their layer of how much they're willing to give up for that. So yeah, it, it's, it's hard to say because I'm one of those people that I, I don't like the idea of tracking or, or that type of thing, but I'm willing to give some of that up for ease of the internet. For usage, um, so it, it's a slippery. It's not really a slippery soap, but it, it's a tough metric to to be at. You know, I, we also uh, trust. We also trust different sites differently. So a lot of us trust Google with our, you know, not just our our browsing history, but how many private things are in your Google Drive. So we trust Google not to dig into that stuff. But would we do the same thing with Microsoft? You know, I know people that would that swear on a Bible that they will never touch a Microsoft cloud drive, but yet they put all of their stuff into Google drive. So, you know, you're, you're also in that same boat of who do you trust and how much do you trust them? And it's an interesting concept.
0: I have spoken publicly many times about the benefits of openness. How not only do I benefit, but society benefits by, by openness. So, um, you know, just take that, you know, and that's like the only time in my life where I'm a, I'm a socialistic hippie uh, is when it comes to, to Internet privacy. But, yeah, I am one of those guys. Um, it's maybe dangerous to admit this, but there there is all manner of, of potentially dangerous and, and uh, private information on my Google drives. For example, um, it's an easy way to keep track of uh, Social Security numbers for the kids. Um, you know, there are times when I need to fill in a form, that piece of sacred information is stored on Google's drive, uh, doesn't bother me in the least. I, I trust Google, uh, I trust that Google has too much to lose, not to violate my privacy. You know, right. cause there, there's an agreement that you, that you sign. And part of that agreement is Google says your stuff is your stuff. Uh, we have the right to archive it and we have the right to make copies of it, but it's your stuff. No, nowhere in their agreement does it say that they have the right to look at your docs. Um, Exactly. So, I trust them not not to be good, but to have too much to lose to be evil.
1: Well, how how would you feel about Microsoft then? Would you give Microsoft the same benefit of the the doubt if the market was, or if their their terms of service was the same?
0: Absolutely. I'm not anti Microsoft at all. I'm really not. I my my entire living. For the last twenty years, has been based on Microsoft. Uh, I can't really consider them the evil empire when they have fed my family. Um, you know, the, I use their products, I use their software, I use their websites. Uh, I don't use a lot of Microsoft stuff because I don't think it's as good as Google stuff. Not because I don't trust them.
1: Okay, well that's that's, that's my point. You just proved my point. Yeah,
0: I I, I trust the legal agreement. And maybe that's the problem. Maybe I'm putting my trust in the wrong place. But I'm trusting the U.S. legal system that I would have recourse. If my private information that is stored only on Google Drive becomes public, I know that Google did it or Google allowed it to happen. And so I have legal recourse.
1: As long as it was that they didn't walk through your password. Yeah. Because that's one of the things that they put on you. And most sites do, at least.
0: Yeah, and that is on me, right? If my password is one two three password four, um, then <laughs> I'm an idiot and I deserve all my stuff to be stolen, <laughs> right? Uh, we bad leading. We had some good lead ins, but I let them go. But I have to do an ad. I'm going to start with our friends over at the Linux Academy. You guys have heard me talk about Linux Academy for a long time now. I don't think I need to go over all the the different uh, uh, virtues and values that they have, but I, I just want to hit the basics. Step by step video courses. Uh, PDF study guides keyed to those uh, step-by-step video courses so you can see and you can watch. Um, a lab in, environment that is really super robust so that you can see and you can watch and you can do. Uh, and then a, uh, a community of people there who are learning with you so that you can see and you can watch and you can do and you can share. Um, there's an old... Uh, uh, proverb in the medical community, they go see one, do one, teach one, um, and that's the process of learning. It, you can't really know that you've taught it, uh, that you've learned it, until you've taught it. And the the peer learning that goes on at the Linux Academy is that fourth uh, leg: see one, uh, see it, do it, practice it, uh, read it, and then share it. Um, and, uh, you know, there's all kinds of administrative tools, the lesson browser, the, the a la carte learning, it tracks your progress, the, the, the quizzes, the, the direct integration with, uh, certification, um, uh, entities, you know, that they, they are directly tied in with, with, uh, CompTIA and with LPI and, and their, their stuff is, is good because it has to be to maintain their certifications. So all that stuff and, and mostly, you know, I use them and I like them. Seth, who doesn't pay for anything, pays for them. That says something. So you know uh, I trust the guys, I know the guys. I trust their content to be high quality um, but it's also inexpensive. it's 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 not cheap. cheap means low quality. it's it's high quality and inexpensive and that's a rare combination in today's world. 29 dollars a month is the most that you can pay f- at this point in time ever that you can't give them 50 dollars a month if you want to for their basic service. $29 a month is their their price of their basic service. They have add-ons that you can pay for uh, later on different courses that are paid, but their the basic monthly access that gives you access to all those things, hundreds of video courses, hundreds of tests, hundreds of quizzes, all those things, $29 a month. But like anything else, if you buy more, you pay less. If you buy a quarter, three months, it's only $69. If you buy annually, it's $229, which breaks down to just under $19 a month. So less than $20 a month, you can change the course of your life. There's not a lot of, a lot of other companies that can say that, that for less than $20 a month, they can give you a new career or, or take you on the steps toward a new career. They can, they can, ch- they can change your life for 20 bucks. Uh, That's rare, and that's why I'm proud to be uh, a sponsor and a supporter of of Linux Academy. Actually, they're sponsors. Uh, I'm a supporter. They're sponsor. We appreciate their support of our show. We love it when their company grows, and hopefully they love it when our company grows. So, LinuxAcademy.com, check them out. And if you use the code EverydayLinux or go to uh, uh, LinuxAcademy.com slash EverydayLinux, you'll get a price break. You will not pay those numbers that I just said. You will pay less. So check it out. LinuxAcademy.com. Use the code EverydayLinux. Yay less. Yay for <laughs> less. But you get the same amount. It's like it's like a double stuffed Oreo. It's like double the stuff. And mm. oh, for the same you know say. so Oreo, I get, I didn't get you anything, and you gave me double the stuff. It's great. I'm uh, hungry. <laughs> I want to talk. uh, We've got some good news stuff, but I want to move straight on to this uh, bad article about good software that comes to us from the Washington Post. So uh, let's start right there. This is the Washington Post uh, written for... Uh, non-technical people. It's not known as the great uh, technical resource. Um, it's written for the business person, the everyday person. Um, in many ways, uh, newspapers are written on you know the third and fourth grade reading levels. This article has that all over it. They oversimplify things. So I'm going to right here up front forgive them for that because of the context of the article and the con and the 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 makeup of their audience. But basically, what the Washington Post has to say is that Linux is the least secure operating system out there, which is which is ridiculous.
1: ridiculous. <laughs>
0: Seth, very I'm going to let ridiculous. you. I'm going to let you comment first before I before I say anything else.
2: Okay, I yeah, there's um, and it's a long article. <laughs> it's a very long article. Uh, Dude, I mean, it starts off, it, it seems like so it, if you read this article and you don't think that this is like, go back in time five years, and this is somebody from Microsoft writing about Linux to make people afraid to buy Linux. Um, This person, I'm just going to read this one quote. Uh, they quote this Daniel McKay, who is a Toronto based security researcher uh, whose company is developing a hardened version of Android. Um, Linus doesn't take security seriously. It's yet another concern in his mind, and he's surrounded himself with people who share those views. Well, no. Ah! I just can't. <laughs> it's it's so hard to talk about this because, hey, Linus is a developer, and he's in charge of the Linux kernel, and there is a trade-off between security and um. Usability and the botnet, you know, they, they talk about this great Linux botnet that was adding 20 whole systems a day. I mean, 20 systems a day. I mean, you can fall over more in Microsoft infected systems faster than that. Uh, so the call, I mean, it was true. It was a botnet, but the way that botnet was hacked wasn't through any security. It was, it was somebody was trying passwords all the passwords until they found one that worked. You could use that same approach and make a botnet of anything. Apple, BSD, Microsoft, Linux, Android. You know, if you could find, an you know, old BlackBerry something somewhere, you know, even my beloved Tizen descendant of Migo. If you keep trying passwords long enough, you will get in. That is not a security flaw. Um. So, yeah, okay, you know, if he should say that people who use Linux are capable of being just as stupid as people who use Microsoft, that's the gist of his article. But that makes a bad title for the Washington Post.
0: So Torvald's basic precepts are: bugs are bugs. The security bug is no imp- no more important than a performance bug. A bug is a bug. We solve bugs here in the kernel. Um, right. And also, he he's his rule is don't don't harm user space. The user experience is paramount. If you make it more secure but make it perform more poorly, that's not a good patch, and it will not be uh, incorporated into the kernel, essentially. I'm, I'm way oversimplifying. simplifying. But also, one of his core things, and, and I've I've heard him give this talk on online. I've never met him or, or been in the same room with him, but I've heard him give I this have, talk.
2: I have. Sorry. Oh, okay. Just, whenever uh, – <laughs> The, the Linux uh, Fest that I went to last year, there was a meet and greet for the new people. Um, you only get to go to it the, your first time there, and, and he was there walking around. I like to say hi to him. Oh, so right.
0: that's pretty cool. So, uh, one of the things that he likes to say is that um, security bugs should never get so far as the kernel. And, and yes, we, we recognize that there are bugs in the kernel and we're fixing bugs. That's what we do. That's what develop, kernel developers do all day every day is fix bugs. But if a security bug gets to the kernel, a whole bunch of things had to fail first. And we should be focusing our efforts on the things in front of Linux, and in, in front of the kernel, and harden them. And then the kernel is less important. And, and a lot of people really just jump on that and say that's ridiculous security is everybody's job you can't you can't just say that because ssh is broken uh we need to we we don't have to worry about uh the linux kernel being broken but you know that's his point I, i'm not going to say whether i agree with it or not at this point but those are the things that he lists and also they mentioned linus is a turd right he's a, he's a jerk he's mean um the dictator um i'm, I'm using turd a lot tonight i don't know why um, Okay. <laughs> yes so he is so what what does that have to do with the security of linux linux
2: he has that in common with every other ceo of a large company (laughs) i mean go go research some of the stories of what it was like to work in apple um Mm -hmm. and you know i mean there's this there's this uh, god cult of Steve Jobs, and then there's the reality of Steve Jobs, not that he's the devil, as much as I might bash him as part of the devil. Stick, but uh but dude, he he wasn't a saint. He was a person good and bad. Uh so Linus has his good points and he has his bad points. So
0: And Linus is a geek at his core, and geeks are not known for being super social. So but if he comes true. off as abrasive, it's no surprise. Everybody he's working with probably is do.
1: Well, Chris, what are your I mean, thoughts
0: on the article overall?
1: Well, overall, I think it's a giant pile of turd, as as you were calling it earlier, uh, or using that term earlier. I think it was it, it's a big line of fud, you know, fear and fear, uncertainty. Linus yeah. is huh? I was I was doing the fud acronym. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's it, okay. But Linus is one of those guys, and if you've watched any of his. Any of his interviews, he is a very abrasive guy. Okay. He's also the guy who does, who did something that I I don't know anyone else who's, who's written a kernel or even has the desire to write a kernel. So obviously it's a special mindset, but he's, he's looking out for the user more than anything. I mean, that's why he's, his big thing is don't touch user space, don't break the experience. So, I You know, it's just one of those things where this article is the reason why Linux takes so much heat for being a geeky thing. It's stuff like this.
0: Yeah, and and one of the things that they, they pointed out in the article is that when um, a new kernel update comes out, there's no security bulletin that goes with it. They list the bugs that are fixed, but they don't give any emphasis on security versus performance. Um, okay. You know, that's not a negative unless you want to make it a negative. That it's there you can go read the change log but if you have to change uh, read through uh fifty seven things about uh you know shaving milliseconds off of boot time to get to the one thing that says this uh stack overflow uh uh thing was was fixed that's you know that's your problem that you don't like the way they they lay it out there they're not uh, obtuse about it they're not hiding that information um, there are known bugs that haven't been fixed and largely that's because they they can't be fixed to the satisfaction of, of the kernel dictator. That's, that's who he is, right? And if you can fix it, but it harms the overall user experience, he's not going to fix it. And if you don't like it, make your own kernel. You totally have the right to do that. That's the thing about openness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they even, this article, just for, in the worst writing ever, um, mentions the Ashley Madison hack, Ashley Madison had nothing to do with any kernel uh, flaws at all. Ashley Madison had everything to do with, you know, the, the humans that ran the place being dolts, mm-hmm. uh, nothing to do with the software being insecure. But their whole point in this article is Linux is growing everywhere. Every, everything runs on Linux. Yay. We've been saying that for years. We're proud of that. Everything runs on Linux. Um, and Linux uh, doesn't have a security officer. Those are true, two true statements. I don't really see how one negates the other in any way.
2: Well, I don't see it either. It doesn't have a security officer,
0: but it has
2: several kernel level developers who are security conscious first. They're, you know, Linux isn't a corporation like Microsoft is a corporation. It doesn't exist to sell you a product and to make money off of that. So of course Microsoft is going to have a security officer because that's good. And they're going to highlight, hey, we fixed these 17 security flaws. Let's not talk about the fact that they've been there all along, but we fix them. And, you know, and they're going to have evangelists and they're going to you can point to this person. But Linux is a group of people. There's there's Linus, there's the Linux Foundation, but then there's this group of developers oh my gosh i was i never felt so out of place in my life has listening <laughs> to the developers talk about kernel level stuff and i was like i was i i i tried you know because it was like when i went to LinuxCon. I, I, okay the first thing like they there was the security summit two days before it started so i'm sitting in there and i'm like what am i i want to be able to talk about this and i was just like Oh my gosh. I feel like, I feel like a kindergartner attending a PhD level course. These people are talking and they were, so they were focused on security. There isn't the, the chief security officer of Linux. There was a room full of geeks talking and this person would talk about security. Well, hey, did, how did you address this? Oh, well, I did that by this and let's talk about this. And I, I resisted using this thing until I made these improvements and this is coming out in the next kernel and. This person, the fact is Linux is very security conscious, but there isn't a chief of security who's doing it. And, you know, you want to get, you want to make something secure, fix the bugs, because that's what most of the security problems are, are bugs. We just don't say it's security. We say it's bugs. And because we use a different word, somebody who doesn't have a clue what they're talking about thinks we're not focusing on security.
0: Right. and and let's that's also everybody who uses the Linux kernel has a responsibility to wrap it in high quality programming the Linux yep. kernel in itself is just the engine um, the the operating system is built around it whether that's embedded in your router or or it's uh, you know in software in Ubuntu either way the kernel is at the heart and and to Linus's point um, if if a if a spear gets to the heart, you blame the rib cage, not the heart, um, and yeah. and that's that's where that's kind of his point. There, we're fixing bugs all day, every day, um, and we're making the user experience as good as we can make it. Uh, but rest assured, here all we make is a heart. We don't make the body. We don't make the rib cage. We don't make the skin. We certainly don't make the armor that goes around it, and we don't make the the tank that they're riding in. That that's that's what Ubuntu does. That's what Red Hat does. That's what uh, Android does. Yep.
1: We make the Arnome, heart. Or Gnome and KDE too. They're right. all parts of that.
0: And so to to say Linux is insecure because the kernel doesn't have a focus on security is is equating an apple and a pineapple. Um, they're similar. They're very much not the same thing
1: and it just goes to prove that you know good a uh, uh, flashy title will get clicks <laughs> <laughs> I, I almost think this is a, considered a, clink, a clickbait article cuz of the you way know, it's written
0: i'm willing to give the washington post a little more um respect than that they're they're truly trying to uh point out a real problem for non sophisticated readers um and we are i hope so on the sophisticated end of their readership in terms of technology. And and we we can see the problems. What bothers me most about this is that the non-sophisticated uh, readers won't see the problems with it, right? Yeah. And so we, we picked it apart very quickly and very succinctly. They don't have the ability to do that. And so people are going to be scared of Android now because it runs on Linux. It doesn't mention the iPhone at all, which also runs on Linux. Yeah. Um, uh, well, a Linux, well, a, Unix. A Unix derivative. Um, yeah. You know, they don't mention, uh, you know, the, the, basically what this is a hit piece on Linux because it's now a big target. One of the things they focus on, they spend way too much time saying that as Linux has become more popular, it's now a bigger target of hackers. And the idea there is that maybe we've been secure because we've been obscure. Now that we're not obscure, we won't be secure. Um, okay, that's a statement that you can make in a couple of sentences. But there's, at this point... There's no facts to base that to base that on. There's no evidence yeah, there's of that. There's no proof. There's, uh, there's, no there's just and proof on it. It's just fear. It's it's what we think might happen, um, and that's what bothers me about it. I'm afraid somebody's going to read this and say because the Linux kernel doesn't uh, uh, and the Linux maintainer isn't focused on security, everything that runs Linux is unsafe. Uh, and those those statements are just not. They don't go together. Well,
2: and it's worse than that because. To say that Linux isn't popular now, it's only not popular on the desktop. It dominates the internet, Mm -hmm. which are you going to attack one person's laptop or are you going to attack, you know, a server that's on the web? You know, well, and that was
0: exactly the point of the article is that now that Linux is anywhere, everywhere, people are going to start attacking it.
2: But it's, it's been everywhere for years. So but
0: what we're what we're seeing is people are targeting linux based machines but they're finding much lower hanging fruit. They're they're finding bugs in ssh, they're finding bugs in in uh oracle, they're finding bugs in mysql long before they ever get to the kernel. There's right, just so right. much out there. There's so many chinks in the armor already. They're not focused on the kernel because they don't have to be.
2: Well, and a lot of times we're finding that and this is true for a lot of the microsoft exploits out there It's a version that's three versions old. You know, somebody set up a web server running, you know, a LAMP stack that was current when they set it up three years ago. They never updated it. They just updated their web page. And so that Mm -hmm. particular vulnerability was, you know... Discovered and addressed a year and a half after the server was launched, but then nobody ever updated
0: the underpinning. And to no the update server. to the kernel will ever help that. You know right. that that little blue box router that you have is never going to get a new kernel on it. Right. No matter how much they focus on the kernel. Yep. So yeah, there's this article had a
2: lot of potential, and um, that's really about the best you can say for it. It uses some really cool words. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't put enough of those words together or grouped <laughs> where you could point to one part of the article and say, "Hey, do that." So, right. you know, like they take one security professional who says that, "Hey, you know, we focus on security and we classify bugs, and one of the classifications are security bugs." And Linus's response is, "A bug is a bug. I'm not going to waste my time trying to classify them. I'm going to get them fixed." So because he wants to fix all bugs, he's not security minded. That's just redonkulous.
0: And let's not forget that there are hardened kernels available. People have done the work. They have hardened the kernel and you can Mm -hmm. use those kernels. People don't because often hardening the kernel makes the experience worse for the user. And so people don't use them unless they're really super focused on security. And so it's there. It's available for you. Um, well, and
1: there's also add-ons that will help the security of it. You know, right. look at SE Linux. Yeah, I'm running it right now on my Fedora box.
0: Most of us it's, are on our phones and we just don't yeah, know it. Yeah,
1: cuz you it's invisible and that's the point of you know, again with my my point of this article is is being a big steaming turd is <laughs> a lot of you don't they didn't bring up any of these things. They don't bring up the hardened kernels or the SE Linuxes or or any of that stuff. You know, uh, look at also our phones are all encrypted now, or at least are getting forced to be encrypted here shortly. So it's a it's a bunch of fear. It's a fear mongering article, and I, gur. Yeah, shame and on you, Washington Post.
0: I, I I don't know this because none of us have ever seen the Windows kernel, but I would bet the Windows kernel is far less secure than the the Linux kernel um, because it was. Hardened after the fact and Linux was built from the beginning with don't break stuff. And, and, you know, a lot of these things that they talk about, let's not forget that the basic model of Linux is that that you get the rights that you have um, you know, on the process that you're running, and very few processes run as root. And in fact, it's highly uh, discouraged. Very few uh, reasonable and intelligent users run as root. Um, in fact, a lot of the OSs now won't even let you unless you go through and uh, jump through hoops. So the, to compare this to, to Windows, for example, where everybody was running as root just by logging in, um, it's it's not a fair comparison. You have to get really far down into the kernel to exploit it, Um, And yes, if you could exploit the kernel, you could jump um, uh, permissions. You could jump to a different level of access because the kernel could do that. The kernel has the access to do that. But you got to get all the way down there first. And that's really difficult to do. Mm-hmm. To, because you've got to get all the way down to something that can manage memory or manage, uh, you know, processing space. And and with ad- address space uh, layout randomization that was implemented in, I think, 2.4, uh, that gets really, really hard to do. So if you're going to do it, you're going to attack, say, the Linux, uh, the Linux boxes that are still running the one-something kernel. Um, and that's what we're seeing. The attacks are all on old devices that don't get updated. The Internet of Things um, is the problem uh, because they don't have a model for updating in general. Yeah.
1: Well, that, and that goes back to the idea of the Internet of Things is going to be the downfall of everything because we can't update the Internet of Things.
0: And that'll be fixed. I mean, the eventually. The, my phone is capable of doing a firmware upgrade. There's no reason my light bulb shouldn't be too. Um, but it's it has to you have to get there first, right? First, right. it was can we put Linux on a light bulb? Yes, we can. Cool. What can we do with it? Well, we can have them talk to your your music player. Cool. Um, now it's not secure. Oh crap! <laughs> so we've got to have a whole lot of a generations worth of oh crap moments first.
1: Well, and we'll have them. I mean, that's just the yeah. way the world works. We're going to have those oh crap moments. You know, like look at SSH. We had an oh crap moment. Oh, that isn't a good thing we should do. We need to fix the heartbleed thing. And look, it happened.
0: And it was fixed except in your old Lynxus device. Yep. Poor Lynxus. So, Thank yeah. <laughs> So I I both agree with everything that was said in this article and think everything that was said in this article was ridiculous garbage. Uh depending on how you look at it, both those statements are true.
1: Yeah, which is sad. <laughs> you know, in a little bit
0: They didn't say anything that was factually incorrect. They arranged facts in a way that leads to an incorrect hypothesis, though. Yep. (laughs) I think there's a word for that. It's called journalism.
1: (laughs) Isn't that sad uh, that that is journalism? journalism?
0: Yeah, Yeah. Journalism used to be, I'm here, this is what's happening. Now it's, I'm not here, this is what might have happened, and here's how you should feel about it. Mm-hmm. But that's a whole different show. Um, and, you know, we didn't even week. talk
2: about how they mentioned Edward Snowden has. Yes,
0: for no reason.
2: <laughs> yes. Um, they just want to throw him in there because yeah. everybody, you know, oh, my gosh. So, I don't know. I guess Edward Snowden somehow hacked the Linux kernel. Yeah.
0: Um, they also they also mentioned the NSA. And then in in like three paragraphs later, or maybe it wasn't that far, a, a little later said, oh, but the NSA didn't have anything to do with that. What? <laughs> Why would you even do that? Yeah,
1: why would you even bring it up if it's not part of it? Yeah. Just, yeah. Attack journalism, what can you say?
0: The title of the show, Bad Writing About Good Software. So I'm done with that. We've given the Wall Street Journal all the attention we should give them. And now let's move to something that does deserve your attention, and that's our friends over at DigitalOcean. If you need a a server, uh, if you need people who are focused on doing things right, these guys are focused on doing things right. They're focused on giving you a platform on which you can screw up if you want to. Oops, maybe that's not their way to sell that. But the whole <laughs> what they do is they give you a machine that you can do with as you please. And if you want to put an unsecure kernel on it and and have an open uh, bug on it, you can do that. But don't do that, please, because that's bad for the Internet at large. But they don't control what you do. That's my point. It's not like shared hosting where you have to go, Mother, may I please install this piece of software? May I please uh, edit my uh, Apache.com file? You don't have to do any of those things because you own the server. Well, it's a virtual server, but it runs in uh, uh, KVM, which is darn close to being uh, physical server speed and performance. So you get something that's built on a, a hex core machine uh, with dedicated ECC RAM. Everything's on an SSD, so it's lightning fast. Gigabit access is as low as they go. Um, bonded NICs and all that good sort of stuff uh, so that you can have private networking, you have public networking, you could have ipv6 support if you're one of the three people in the world that that knows how to use ipv6 um but you can set up your own server click a button drupal bang done click a button wordpress bang done um and then now it's your server and you can run your server however you want to run it and it's the freedom that's what i love about uh, virtual hosting freedom! It's your server yes it's it's william <laughs> wallace would be proud The you may take our digital rights management but you'll never take our freedom wait that's exactly what <laughs> that drm does never mind um so and not only do you get your own server to do with as you please running on really just hardcore software uh, hardware uh, but you get it at a, an incredibly reasonable cost how about how does five dollars a month strike you you can get started for as low as $5 a month. That's not even true. You can get started for as low as $0. But let's start with your payment plans that start out at $5 a month, and they go up to something like 370 or $380 a month, depending on how you want. The point is that whatever you need, they're going to be able to meet your needs. Uh, for the $5 a month plan, you get half a gig of RAM, a single core processor, 20 gigs of, of uh, storage space, and one terabyte a month of transfer. A small family blog, uh, a, a development server that you just want to play with, $5 a month is going to get you everything you need. $10 Ten dollars a month is probably where most people are going to live. That's a pretty decent server: gig of RAM, one core processor, thirty gigs of storage, uh, two terabytes per month of transfer, and very reasonable overages if you go over your two ba- terabytes. They never cut you off; um, they just send you a bill and say, "Oh, you went over." Uh, and before that, they warn you before you go there. So it's not like it's gonna. It's not, they're not cell phone companies; they don't abuse you in that way. Um, but if you sign up and use our code, Everyday Linux, you get ten dollar a ten dollar credit free. Just right off the bat so if you do the five dollar a month plan let me do some math here let's see five to ten divided by that's two free months right there um, of of your own virtual server that you can own for for nothing for two months for free if you do the ten dollar plan let's say let me just do some math there ten divided by uh, that's one free month Of service that you get right there uh for nothing just for saying hey i found out about you on everyday linux use the the everyday linux code and you get a ten dollar credit um and put try before you buy they put their money where my mouth is you're gonna try it you're gonna like it and if you don't you walk away no harm no foul no cost you're done DigitalOcean.com, I'm proud to be uh, uh, a supporter, a, a mouthpiece for them. I'm proud that they felt our show worthy to be uh, advertisers uh, on. And so it's a great uh, relationship, and they're a good company that sells a good product. DigitalOcean.com, use the code EverydayLinux. Now, let's talk about some tech news. Um, we don't have time to do much. We're already an hour and a half in. But I do want to do this top one because it's like something that, that Lewis Carroll would write. Microsoft and Red Hat team up to share their services on their respective cloud networks. Yeah, this, this was just an sounds article. This is certainly a bad uh, horror story. <laughs> it's like, the I expect the Mad Hatter to show up any minute now and the mm-hmm. Cheshire Cat on his shoulder.
2: Yeah, I uh, found this over on Linux Insider. And of course, you know, it's got the big pop-up when you first come on it. <laughs> but um, Microsoft and Red Hat, are actually collaborating in the cloud what this means is microsoft says that red hat is a premier or red hat enterprise linux is the preferred linux choice on microsoft azure which is the microsoft cloud and microsoft azure will become a red hat certified cloud and service provider uh, according to the respective companies so basically microsoft will say hey we love for you to put Red Hat Enterprise Linux on our cloud, and Red Hat says, hey, we love it if you put Microsoft on our cloud. So, you know, it's more proof that Linux has won because it's a viable option on Microsoft's cloud. And it's not just something that, you know, if you do these four separate fixes and call us for a hot fix, we're not going to release. You now, it's a preferred provider right there. So.
1: That's <laughs> kind of cool that you know that microsoft is kind of well i mean they have to if you think about it microsoft had to do this um we we've been saying this for many times that the internet runs on linux so by them not having it in their cloud as a you know in their cloud network it, it stopped companies from using their microsoft's cloud system because they're a red hat shop so um they had to, and vice versa. I mean, it, this is one of those moments where Red Hat can go, uh, "Yeah, we'll take your money, and we'll continue to do what we
0: do." Yeah, it's the, the Microsoft's strategy in order to survive is to support and disseminate Linux. I, I, I can't even process that. Um, they, <laughs> they have the Mad Hatter. They have as a company. Uh, been so anti-Linux for so long. Now they're making their own Linux distribution. They're pe- uh, uh, peering up with uh, top-tier Linux companies. They're donating to the, the Linux uh, Foundation. I just... I don't even know how to process this. It's this, both cool and creepy all at the same time.
1: This
2: would but have they been have a great lead-in for uh, the Linux Academy. <laughs> yes,
0: it would have. <laughs>
1: but, you know, like I said a minute ago, they have to do this. They they have no choice. if If they want to be relevant in the internet of things they have to be in that market
0: no, I totally and, agree with you. Yeah. And the web hosting is is the way things are going. And right now Azure is sort of an uh, also RAM. Um uh Amazon owns web hosting in terms of of, of large uh de- deployments like that. Um and this is really two also also-rans. Red Hat is not, uh, you know, not known for for being the the web hosting platform. And Microsoft tries to be, but they're not. So these are two um, small players trying to team up to take down a big player. That actually makes it make a lot more. So- now I can wrap my brain around it. I feel better about that. <laughs> um, this is the scorpion getting on the fox's back to get across the river. Um, and eventually, the scorpion will sting the scar this fox because that's what scorpions do.
1: But
2: no now worries. it was
0: a
1: scorpion.
2: It's about two <laughs> lambs learning how to use a spear to keep the uh, wolves from <laughs> eating them. So.
0: Oh, Native American uh, para- uh, parables all over the place. Um, <laughs> the Department of Ed is looking into open source software licensing. Yay! That, as, a, as a former person who's been into education, that, that was my life for a long time. My wife is still a teacher. Yay! Please don't disappoint me, Seth. Make this a good article. Okay,
2: well, I came across this uh on opensource.com and um so basically they have an interest in broadening the impact of its grants. So it has announced a notice of a proposed rulemaking. Um and this happened back in October, and you can comment on it. The proposed rule would require intellectual property created with the Department of Education grant funding to be openly licensed to the public. Uh, this includes both software and instructional materials. So basically what they're saying is you can't use our grant to make a product and then turn around and sell it to the people. If you use our grant money to develop a product, you have to basically open source it because um, under current cop under current regulations creators of grant funded work they retain unlimited copyright and rights to royalty income um, and they just grant the Department of Education a royalty-free non-exclusive irre- irrevocable right to publish a lot of lawyers speak there I'm in the legal industry now so I have to do that um, so they can use and reproduce the work even though it doesn't kind of work out that way so I think this is a cool thing. And this is a way that, you know, because it's our tax dollars at work. So we shouldn't have to turn around and pay money for somebody who used our tax dollars to develop their product. So I hope this gets in there. Um, you know, there's like a list of five questions they want you to address if you go and comment, but you can follow our link to opensource.com and uh, see those questions and go if you want to contribute to it. So, I think it's a cool thing, and, you know, to me, this was the perfect use of grant money. Um, this is the way the government should work. Here, we'll give you money to develop a product, but it has to be free for us. So, I- I'm happy with that.
0: Yeah, so basically, this says if you use federal money to write software, the, that you have to give that software to the people who gave you the money to make it. Makes right. sense. Uh, Why did it take it that makes long? sense.
1: Because I was going to hope that this is more of a push for open licensing to you know so open license software to be a primary, not a secondary to the software that schools and in education uses. No, that's not what this one's about. Oh darn! I was hoping.
0: All right. So if you're interested, the Cowboys are up seven nothing over Philly. Um. <laughs> Don't worry, it's early yes they can lose yet yeah. uh and then this last one i want to do uh the fcc um says they don't really care whether or not you want uh do uh, you make a statement to say that you don't want to be tracked
2: yes so um i found this at the verge um you can find man i was um just to let everybody know it was friday night about midnight and i was just like i wonder what kind of news stories are out there for the show this weekend and there was so much I went ahead and came up with a new section. Like it was like one o'clock Friday or Saturday morning, but uh, I found this over on the verge. So, um, basically it's kind of bad news for privacy advocates. The FCC explained today that it will not force websites to accept do not track requests, which are used to ask websites, not to follow visitors, blah, blah, blah. And the reason is it doesn't plan on regulating edge providers or services such as Facebook, Google, or Netflix. Uh, the commission has been unequivocal. uh, in declaring that it has no intent to regulate edge providers. So, um, you know, hopefully websites will honor it, but it's, they volunteer to do so and they aren't required to. So when you sign, uh, when you go into your preferences and click, do not track the only teeth behind that are whatever, you know, and some websites have said we will honor that, but if they don't want to, they really don't have to. Right.
0: It's a signal and nothing more right um, Yep. and what i think what here's my prediction um i think that browsers are going to take that on themselves that if you click that button they are going to actively disable tracking cookies because the b- user said they won't i think this is how this is going to play out right now they're not doing that they're sending a signal to the server uh and then the server can decide whether or not it wants to apache servers uh nginx servers maybe microsoft i can't remember have the ability you can turn that on if you want you can honor do not track headers the fcc is saying we're not going to force anybody to do it i expect google uh and and mozilla to come out fighting and say we will enforce this on your behalf
1: that'd be cool if it happens i really hope it does
0: because they it's it's something that they're going to give the the servers they're going to give them time they're going to give them a chance to um and then if they if they refuse to be good about it they're going to force them to be good that's that's my hope maybe it's more of a hope than a prediction but uh that's what i'm hoping for yay we've lost chris his skype call has crashed so i don't know if he had a response to that or not we'll never know cuz we're going to move on <laughs> Oh, he's going to have to call me back later. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. Seth, do uh, I'm going to skip the because we love numbers because we can, because frankly, I don't want to do that one. Uh, <laughs> tell us what happened this week in history.
2: Okay. Uh, November the 10th, 1983, Microsoft's Bill Gates first unveiled the Windows operating system for PCs. It wasn't actually until 1985, almost two years later, uh, almost two solid years, until the first version was officially released to manufacturing. So that happened this week in history in 1983. Bill Gates unveiled Windows, not released it to manufacturing, but just unveiled it.
0: <laughs> That's uh really it's that far back because i i'm having a hard time reconciling that that uh, you know windows 1.0 uh came out in nine oh really released a manufacturer in 19 19- i just don't remember windows 1.0 i guess nobody else does either
2: no uh three a really three one was the first big one or was the right. big one. Um, and then 311, I think is when you could actually network it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so 1.0 and here's it back then, two years to develop software. Could you imagine? Well, I don't know. I guess it, t- it still takes them over two years to f- get the bugs out once they unveil an operating system. Um, but yeah, 1983 and then two years to get it working.
0: Uh, and, and Windows, the original Windows, uh, couldn't, couldn't tile. You could, o- or couldn't cascade. You could only tile Windows. Right. So it was, uh, the best part that they tried to rip off about the Xerox machine and, uh, and the Apple machine. They couldn't get it right, uh, for like two or three versions, uh, which is amazing. So yeah, I guess that's why nobody cared because it was only marginally better than using DOS. And so people were just continued to use DOS. Because in, in DOS, you could build, uh, you know, DOS-based menu things that looked very graphical. Um, yeah. And, you know, and if you didn't have copy and paste wasn't a thing yet. So, yeah, now that I'm po- sort of relaying history in my brain here, I can see how it's it was really a non-issue. And that's why I don't remember it. Nobody else does either.
2: Yeah. But it happened this week in history.
0: Yeah. Cool. 11-10-8. Eighty-three. I was eleven years old. Same here. Yeah.
1: Wow, well, I was a lot younger.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you were still playing with your with your tinker toys. Yep,
1: I was oh, still love me some
0: tinker toys. Yeah. Oh, who am I kidding? At eleven, I was still playing with tinker toys,
1: um, Lincoln logs.
0: So next week, uh, we may even have another article from uh, the Washington Post. So look forward to that. Uh, oh, no, uh, this one. Next week, the, I was looking at the wrong thing. Uh, so Seth is is actually planning weeks ahead now. Go, Seth.
1: Um, I love it.
0: So, Seth, what do you have this week for your, uh, your opportunity to, to waste my productivity so that you look like a better hiring option?
2: Okay, this one really has the opportunity to waste a lot of time. Um, uh, w- while w-e-l-i-k-i-a dot org, uh, you can click on the link. Uh, basically it kind of shows you what New York was like in 1609. So you can like kind of go block by block and see what New York was like <laughs> over 400 years ago. Uh, it's kind of, uh, it's like Google Earth going back in time. So it, I just think it's neat. You can kind of look and see what it's like. Um, how did you, oh, how do
0: they know though? I mean, we don't have any satellite pictures from that far back.
2: D- sure. Uh honestly, <laughs> I I went through I came across this site several months ago and I don't remember why, but um you can you know, zoom out,
0: you can do the whole U the whole globe.
2: Yeah, but not all of it is like developed as as much as Uh, New York is so honestly I don't know exactly how they do it but you know there's there's a lot of historical records of what the place used to look like before it went uh, before it was you know urbanized and planned and basically the uh, original landscape was kind of flattened out and you know they left Central Park alone and Broadway, which is like uh, used to be a major hunting trail. I, I remember that from my limited history of New York, but everything else was kind of, uh, you know, they just uh, anyway cool stuff go look through it explore what New York was like before people you know um, they, there's a history series after people or whatever it was called so th- this is before us Westerners came in and destroyed the pristine and perfect uh, landscape that was the natural American continent
1: yeah and not all the areas are, are definitely covered because I right. just I figured I'd dig around and yeah my whole area is, is not yeah, you can Part of you
0: can see a skyscraper next to an empty field. There, that's yeah. That sort of- it,
2: it was originally just Manhattan, but they are they in the process of expanding it to encompass all of New York City, including Bronx, the Queens, uh, Brooklyn, and Staten Island, and the surrounding waters. So,
0: fun stuff. Yeah. If you go look at what Texas was like back then, it looks largely the same. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I can't even remember now the context of it, but I, something about that, uh, never mind. I'm not going to go there cause I can't remember enough to put it together, but there was some conversation I had, I think on this show, we were talking about generations of technology, um, and using Moore's law, um, 30 years of technology is something like 16 generations. Uh, no, uh, uh yeah and then if you look at that that's the equivalent of like 600 years of human development so if you compare 30 years of technology development to 600 years of human development um, what, imagine what we're going to look like technologically that was the the conversation i was having and i just realized i'm rambling here that doesn't make any sense to anybody but if <laughs> if you if you compare human development to computer development right we we have a new generation roughly every 40 years um, and computers have a new generation roughly every eighteen months. so the the human advancement since with this even before this, right? This is only going four hundred years back, five hundred years back if you if you if you compare that to the equivalent of computer advancement, um we will be you know in thirty years and the rest of my life, I plan to live to at least another thirty years. Um, the things that we will see will be the the evolutionary equivalent of six hundred years of human generations
1: wow that's kind of nuts
0: yeah so 600 years ago we were we were farmers we we had farming down uh we were um metallurgists we knew how to make certain metals right and now you know 600 years later we're you know flying around and have supercomputers in our pockets um you know consider that advancement in technology anyway I just took you on this whole tangent there that doesn't i hope you stopped listening already but if you're still with us let me tell you how you can contact us because it's called the show closing spectacular mark (laughs) yeah i closed the show you you were the spectacular i was the puff of smoke after the fireworks um Uh, elementop.com click the contact us button at the top of the page that sends a a nicely formatted email that gets priority in my inbox you can send your own email if you don't trust priority in my inbox to edl at elementop.com that goes to all three of us or if you would like your voice to appear right here alongside mine you can call 559 i am op leave us a voicemail message on our google voice account and there's a good chance we'll play it on the show as always thank you for listening thank you for hanging out with us for Going on two hours, we've really had some long shows here lately. uh this one isn't as long as last week, but uh I was trying to keep us short for a while, and then I lost the <laughs> reins again. This show is rampant anarchy uh thanks for listening. uh thanks for telling people about us. The best thing you can do other than just showering thousands of dollars down upon us is to tell other people about the show. Tell them you like it uh get them to listen, and hopefully they'll tell two friends and they'll tell two friends and so on and so on and then there's women buying shampoo all over your t v <laughs> Chris you're too young to get that aren't you but that's okay I think so Seth got it he knows I did um so anyway thanks for listening Chris Seth thanks for hanging out with me this is this is one of the highlights of my week the few hours I get to spend with you guys so look forward to doing it next week but for now that ends this episode of everyday Linux.